back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. We are here to give a review of the Southern Miss win, 30-7 to win. Uh, and this is a review where we can speak more intelligently than we can in the Instant Reaction podcast because we've gone back and, and watched the game over. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're here to do. Recording this podcast Sunday at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, and yeah, just, I don't know, 20 to 25 minute podcast here, just kind of giving our thoughts, Gabby. And uh, I'll let you start the conversation. You can take it wherever you want to take it. Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I think just kind of watching it back, I mean, I think there was just a pretty clear improvement in the second half. And I don't know, man, it just felt like a lot of like the issues stemmed from like just kind of a lack of communication on the offensive line in the first half. Like it just felt like there was just a few breakdowns, like kind of you're they're scratching, scratching your head like, OK, why is this guy just standing there blocking nobody? And why is this guy? I think there was a point that neither John Campbell or um Jalen Rivers on the left side, like blocks him one, like they were both just kind of standing there and then they just looked at each other and it was just kind of like, okay, what well, kind of went wrong here? Uh, so yeah, I think that's something that they're going to have to fix. And, you know, obviously I didn't expect the offensive line to be, you know, a masterpiece from the get from the get go. But I think watching them in the second half was really encouraging how they kind of picked it up. Uh, I mean, I think you can tell that there was definitely some halftime adjustments. I think that's a, a pretty big positive that you could take away from this game. I think that they came out in the second in the second half with a better understanding of what they're uh, supposed to do. Um, yeah. And then I, I mean, kind of like what I said in the instant reaction podcast, I, it just never felt to me like Tyler Van Dyke really got settled in. Um, you know, it just kind of like, I don't know. I just felt like he kind of made throws late. Like he was uh, a little bit, maybe there was a little bit of, he of hesitancy. Uh, mm -hmm. He just kind of felt like he was hesitating a lot. I don't think the receivers did a very good job creating separation at all. And I think that maybe played a part in him being a little hesitant and maybe just kind of thinking too much on certain throws. I think he could have been better on some throws he did make. Uh, and then, I mean, overall, uh, you know, I thought it was fine. I thought the second half was fine, but um, I mean, those are probably some of my offensive takeaways just from the first half that I was able to just kind of, I guess, learn again, just watching it back. Yeah. Offensive line. Uh, there was a rough stretch for that position group, like with seven, six, five minutes left in the second quarter. And I think that's what you're referencing with, uh, you know, there was some stunt games going on from Southern Miss, uh, you know, from their defensive line. And honestly, it might have even just been like back-to-back -back plays. One side, one play, it was the right side where Justice, uh, you know, didn't pass it off correctly. And then I think it was the next play where Jalen uh, Rivers didn't pass it off correctly. And quite frankly, I think, too, Ja'Kai Clark kind of had some roughs rough patches in the game as well. Not the greatest showing for the interior of the offensive line yeah. uh, in terms of like consistency. They, they yeah. had their bright moments too. Um, but yeah, they, there's some stuff to clean up there. Um, I thought the they, tight ends were kind of average too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a fair talking point. I think, you know, Will Mallory is expected to be, one of the best players on this offense and 
there's there's reasons out of his control as to why he hasn't necessarily been a significant playmaker in these first two games. Game one, he kind of had a limited snap count. We understand that. Game two, uh, he did have some opportunities, and Tyler just couldn't find him uh, for whatever reason. You know, there was that. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been a touchdown. There was that play early on, yeah, uh, on a rollout where the D end knocked it down uh, on a pass that was intended for Will. There was a play early on where Will was open to convert a third down, and Tyler kind of just threw it too low, threw it at his feet. Um, so we understand that, but Will Mallory's blocking was not good enough. And that's important in this scheme. You gotta have, yeah, you gotta have decent blocking from your tight ends. And he was kind of just a negative in that phase on Saturday. So he does need to improve in general. The run blocking, I think was pretty average. If we're being honest, not much push, um, from the group up front. And, you know, remember when I said going into the game, that was one of the things I wanted to see was the inside run game uh, have some success because I think when you go on the road against an SEC opponent like Texas A&M, who's going to have prototypical body types uh, on the D-line, linebacker level, you're going to have to be able to consistently churn some tough three, four-yard runs just to stay ahead of the chains a little bit. Um, and Miami's Miami never had a run longer of eight yards on the day, uh, you know, running between the guards and centers. So um, not much push. Southern Miss does have pretty decent defensive tackle play for a G5 team, but, you know, we're talking about bigger things here and, you got to be able to, to generate some sort of push on a consistent basis. Uh, you mentioned the, the adjustments in the second half. I thought that drive uh, coming out of halftime, you know, Miami's first possession uh, offensively is kind of what, in some ways, it's what the vision of the Mario Cristobal offense can be uh, when it's running at a consistent slash high level. Uh, I think on that drive, they made the adjustments of, of going to some pistol looks, which I liked just to switch up those different run looks. Um, and they had success running the ball out of the pistol, you know, running off tackle, running just inside the tackle too. So, um, you know, there's plenty to clean up. There's plenty good. You mentioned Tyler. And I agree. I think it's, you know, like a lot of things with football, it's rarely just one thing you can point to that's the root of an issue. I think for Tyler in that one game, it's getting comfortable with a new offense. It's learning. I still feel like he's he's learning who he can trust with the outside receivers. I think he knows he can count on Restrepo. I think he knows he can count on Will Mallory. I think, I mean, we saw it too, Brashard. He showed some confidence in going to Brashard Smith. I think when the plays call for him to look at the outside receivers as his first options, I think that's when we see some hesitancy, like you were saying, 
you know, there was some late throws and on a lot of those late throws, he double pumped it. Like you could tell he wasn't confident in those looks or those plays. Um, And he, he also flat out just had some straight up misses on accuracy, Mm -hmm. which is the most uncharacteristic thing, uh, you know, from him in that game, quite frankly, that's the most inexcusable thing. And that's also going to be the easiest thing for him to clean up. So I would expect Tyler to get more comfortable in this offense as the season progresses. And uh, I'm not worried about that, honestly. I mean, it was not a great performance from Tyler, but I am not concerned about him in this offense long-term. I think he's going to figure it out. How about receivers, Gabby? You know, we mentioned Richard. That was good to see him get going. I'll admit, Michael Redding is growing on me. And I'm not saying that in terms of like, I think he can be a number one option in this offense, a go-to guy, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he can be a really solid, like number two receiver. You know, it seems like when, when the ball goes his way and he has a chance to catch it, he's going to catch it. He's not the most dynamic guy, but he kind of gets the job done. I I mean, I just think, again, I, I don't know if maybe this is just like, too soon in the season to really make a comment like this, but I'm just not sure that we're going to see like that true, like wide receiver one type emerge. So I think right. when there's someone that you can count on that, you know, is going to make a play like that's someone you need to be able to kind of like, you know, go to. And I just think yeah. Miami's at a point where Michael Redding is reliable. Like he knows what he's going to, what he needs to do. And he's going to make, you know, the plays that kind of go his way, the plays that are set up for him. And I think he's going to do the right thing. It doesn't seem like he's going to drop a ton of balls and, you know, he can't, he's not the most athletic, but again, he's a guy that can, he's a guy that can just, you know, I guess just move the chains a little bit. And again, I, I don't, I'm at the point where I'm not expecting this team to have a, you know, big play outside receive, uh, receivers. So if Michael Redding can be the 50 to 60 yard guy, I mean, I think you've got, you, you got to kind of live with that. And it seems like he's someone that, that again, Tyler Van Dyke is starting to trust in this offense and that you could see that he feels comfortable getting him the ball. And if they set up uh, situations for him to make plays, I think he's someone that again, you know, he's going to do the right thing. And yeah, you know, again, I don't think he's, uh, you know, the elite, you know, outside guy or anything like that. But I think he could be a five or six catch guy for you and he can just help you just kind of move the chains. And I don't know if he's going to have a lot of yak, if he's going to, you know, throw off a defender and, you know, make a play downfield. But uh, I think he's someone that can just kind of catch the ball reliably, get down on the ground, maybe give you a few more, a few extra yards uh, after the catch and then just kind of, you know, do it again. I don't know. I feel like he's yeah. just kind of a guy that you can go to. Beyond the obvious, you know, schematic differences between the Josh Gaddis offense and the Rhett Lashley offense of last year that Tyler played in. I think just personnel usage is also kind of dramatically different. I think to be successful this year, Tyler is going in the passing game. Tyler is going to have to spread the ball around to many different receivers. Whereas last year we saw Tyler and this was the right approach last year. Tyler zeroed in on Charleston Rambo and gave him plenty of opportunities to go make a play. Unfortunately, he doesn't have that type of personnel that he's working with in this offense. And so I think that's part of the adjustment that he's going through right now. Um, Run game. What were your thoughts on the run game? We mentioned the blocking, right? 
Henry Parrish was pretty productive. I think, you know, the stats would have reflected a better game if that uh, weird Ja'Kai Clark penalty wasn't called, which, yeah. I mean, kind of ticky-tacky, I guess. A little bit. By the letter of the law, yeah. it's. I guess it was, you know, whatever. But um, overall, what were your thoughts on Henry Parrish? Yeah, no, I thought he was good. And again, I mean, I think if you're kind of just looking at the tape, if you're just kind of like watching Henry Parrish, obviously you have to wipe off that. What what would it would have been like a 35 yard touchdown yeah, run? Something like I that. I mean, I feel like that's a play he made, you know, OK, it didn't count. Yes. It didn't go towards the score. But to, I'm looking at that and like that's what he's capable of doing. And, you know, I think that that's good, especially later in the game when they kind of started. It felt like they kind of started to wear Southern Miss down a little bit. I, I feel like some of those mm-hmm. two, three yard gains maybe started turning into like five, six, seven yard gains. Um, you know, I feel like they kind of just started moving it a little bit better. And then Henry Parrish finally kind of broke open, you know, broke off of, of that one. So I'm encouraged by what he showed, what he showed uh, again on Saturday. And, you know, I guess I think when you're looking at this team, I think he's uh, he's the running back one. And, uh, you know, I, I I think he probably could have been better in the first half. Of course, I think everything could have been better. But I think overall, Henry Parrish was a uh, was pretty solid. And I, I kind of honestly like the way that they use him. And it seems like he's the guy they're going to kind of go to. Yeah, and I like the way too that they they use him in the passing game. Just get him the ball quick, quick little swing passes. It's basically yeah. like a stretch run almost. Yeah, uh, just get him the ball quickly in space, and he's good at picking up, you know, at least five six yards a pop in those little swing pass uh, situations. Last thing before we go to defense, Gabby, I missed this during the game. You know, they they went to this look um, with like two minutes left in the third quarter which i will admit is you know when it's time to start working on the content behind the scenes in terms of what we're posting immediately when the game ends right um but on the rewatch i noticed how late in the third quarter they gave us a look uh on the offensive line with john campbell and zion nelson on the line together and that line looked like John Campbell, left tackle, uh, Jalen Rivers, left guard, Ja'Kai Clark, center, DJ Scaife, right guard, and Zion Nelson, right tackle. I found that very interesting. I wonder if that's what we'll see, not only against Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M is like the big question. Are we going to see that already against Texas A&M? But I do think that could be the line long-term. And to me, that's that's a talented college offensive line. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're, when you're thinking about your five best, I mean, I think that that might be the group, right? And again, we obviously didn't get to see it a ton, but, you know, I thought that they were good in the time that they, you know, that one drive that they that they played together. So again, I think it's, I think it's intriguing, right? To see that group together because we were all, I think we, I mean, us two have been wondering what, that looks like, I mean, because having John Campbell and Zion Nelson in the same lineup at the tackle spots, and maybe we thought it was going to be flipped to the other side where Zion Nelson would be mm-hmm. left tackle, John Campbell, right tackle. But I think, I mean, we, we kind of wanted them to explore that. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was, I think, I know, I think someone asked the idea of, you know, them two playing together uh, during one of the press conferences. Me. And was it you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. And, uh, you know, I think that was a, uh, I think it was good that they kind of explored that. And uh, so I'm excited to see if that is the five that they roll with uh, against Texas A&M and maybe just kind of got a taste of it. Uh, tried to maybe sneak it in there for just one drive there uh, yeah. in, in the third quarter. Yeah. So we'll see what they decide to do 
when it's kickoff time at Texas A&M because, you know, they're not going to tell us before that. That's just yeah. how the staff operates. Um, let's take a break, and then we will quickly dive into defense and maybe some big picture thoughts. All right, we are back, and let's discuss the defense. Gabby, I think the place to start um, defensively is at the defensive tackle position. I think I could be wrong, but just like off the top of my head, I can't think of a defensive tackle in the game that didn't have some sort of impact play. You had Daryl Jackson doing grown man things against the run. Mm -hmm. Leonard Taylor flashed big time on those back-to-back plays, tackles for lost sack. Um, Antonio Moultrie forced fumble. Jake Lichtenstein sack. Jordan Miller had a pressure and he was in on a sack, I believe, with Nigel E. Kelly, but yeah. Nigel E. got the credit for it. Uh, Jared Harrison Hunt had a pressure that I remember. So that group legitimately, legitimately is six deep. They all contributed, they all made plays. And to me, that's a big reason why Southern Miss was what, 24 rushing yards on 23 carries. Yeah, I, I think going into the game, I mean, it, it was kind of, you know, stop the run, right? It was Frank Gore Jr. It was, uh, you know, you kind of want, we didn't know how good Zach Wilkie was going to be. And I thought he was fine for his, you know, first ever college game. But I mean, I think if you're Kevin Steele, I think the goal was, you know, stop the run, you know, kind of just kind of cut them off at the knees there. And I think that that's exactly what they did. I thought that they, you know, did a really good job of just kind of controlling the line of scrimmage in that way. And, you know, obviously you don't know what you're, you don't really know what you're getting with the quarterback play and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I thought they were all really impactful. I mean, Leonard Taylor, I think single-handedly just stalled uh, mm-hmm. a, a, one of those Southern Miss drives. I think that's a really, really big deal when you can disrupt, a, you know, when one guy can just disrupt the whole, you know, you take away a drive from a, an opposing offense that like position that. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like, from the interior defensive line. And I think, you know, it was the 20 snap range, which I think we've talked about too with him. Like you want it, you want him to be a full go for, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 25 snaps a game, whatever it is that he gets. And, uh, you know, again, Darrell, J- Darrell Jackson, I thought was, you know, was again, just doing grown man stuff at the line of scrimmage, you know, battling off double teams, doing all those types of things. And this is without a key Mesador too, um, you know, kind of coming in on that inside and, yep. you know, kind of doing stuff from in, in there too. So, yeah, I thought that group was really, really good. And, you know, I think they, I think it was kind of mission accomplished when you're, when you're looking back at the film and, uh, you know, seeing how they performed. Similarly, in terms of uh, discussing the run defense, I thought Corey Flagg showed improvement from week one. I am not, I'm not going to sit here and say he's up to the standard at this point. You know, that standard at Miami is high, that linebacker standard. But I do think it's fair to uh, highlight a guy when he shows improvement from week over week. And I thought Corey Flagg was, was better against Southern Miss. Still plenty of things to clean up. Um, I think Wesley Besaint flashes a lot. And I think it's it's coming. I don't know when, but I think it's coming in terms of like, it's looking like they they like Corey Flagg. So I think he's going to be the middle linebacker for most of the season. And I think it's a matter of time before Wesley is kind of the, the starting weak side guy. I think at some point during ACC, the ACC schedule, we're going to see that switch. Um, I think the tackling was better, mm-hmm. uh, which is good to see. Uh, to me, the edge rushers, I think they played, they played, they played 
okay to good. Um, I like how active they are. Yeah. And again, they were missing Akeem Mesador. That's worth mentioning. That's a big deal. He's the best player on defense. But guys like Jafari Harvey, Mitchell Agude, those two in particular, I would like to see them finish more on these pass rushes. They do a good job of getting pressures, kind of affecting the quarterback a little bit. I just wish they they could finish a little more. I don't know if either one of those guys have recorded a sack yet off the top of my head this year. Um, I thought Elijah Roberts did okay, um, you know, with his pressures. So um, let's go to here, though. This is like the hot-button topic right now defensively. Corner and specifically DJ Ivy. So my take probably not going to be popular and I get it. Like I'm not sitting here advocating for DJ Ivy. I recognize the issues there as well. Right. I just don't know if Miami has a solution right now. I think they gave opportunities to Malik Curtis to show what he could do. I think they gave an opportunity to Daryl Porter to show what they show what he could do. Yeah. And if we're being honest, like if we're going to, if we're going to, um, if we're going to give DJ Ivy a hard time for miscues and giving up yardage, we have to be consistent and hold Malik Curtis and Daryl Porter to the same standard. And, you know, Malik Curtis got picked on when he got in the game. I think it was two passes in a row, one yeah. of which, you know, the touchdown was a perfect pass and all that stuff. But, you know, if DJ Ivy, if that was this DJ Ivy in that situation, yeah. we'd be, you know, flaming about yeah. that. Well, Malik Curtis got beat off the line of scrimmage. Like that was just like immediate was, yeah, recognition and get the ball up. Clean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Daryl Porter, you know, again, against the same receiver, Brownlee. Um, just, I don't know. How do you describe that? Just got mossed. Yeah, I, don't know. I mean, it's yeah I guess. I feel like he, I feel like, you know, he really, he tried to come down with that ball on a bigger receiver when he probably, you know, as a defensive back, Knowing that the guy's got, I don't know, four yeah. inches on you, maybe you just try to get a hand on it and break it up. I think he tried to make a play, and guess what? You're going to lose that high-pointing battle. So uh, I think you just want to try to break up the pass instead of right. go up and intercept it, and he obviously just got mossed there. So, again, I I think you should still give guys opportunities to outplay DJ Ivy, and I'm not saying DJ Ivy played well. I still think that is an issue on this defense, but is, is DJ Ivy playable if he doesn't give up the explosive touchdown? I think that's where this coaching staff is right now. I think they recognize, look, yeah. I mean, we have to play him off all the time. We have to, he has to give receivers cushion and that allows receivers to pick up an easy eight, nine yards. If, if the quarterback and receiver want to take that, uh, you know, on, on an individual play, but we will trade off those frustrating plays, uh, because it forces college quarterbacks to have to methodically work the ball down the field. And so they're kind of making that bet that a college quarterback over the course of 60 minutes is not going to be efficient enough to be able to win the game that way. My question is, and this is the DJ Ivy question, right? In these big games, 
against receivers with legitimate speed, he's usually good to get burned by one explosive play that more times than not goes for a touchdown. Is that going to happen this week against Texas A&M? And if it does, to me, that's kind of the starting point of, okay, maybe the DJ Ivy thing needs to stop. But if he can stop, if he doesn't give up the explosive touchdown, I just think that's this is what this defense is going to have to do. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you're kind of I mean, I think ultimately it's just a personnel issue, right? Like you just don't have like there's just no one that's really kind of stepped up and taken advantage of an opportunity with. I mean, I guess I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, I think the DJ Ivy thing is. I mean, it is what it is. Again, like what you said, everyone with eyes that's just been paying attention to his career can see what it is. But it's just like, again, I feel like they gave Malik Curtis opportunities. They gave Daryl Porter an opportunity. And, you know, those guys allowed the explosive play in their short times on the field. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of is what it is. You kind of got to cross your fingers there and hope that, you know, he he doesn't give up the big explosive play. And, you know, I think he made a, a couple of good plays. I mean, he I think he had a tackle. He might have had a tackle for loss or, you know, tackle close to the line of scrimmage. He nearly came down with an interception when they did try to go for one of those explosives on him. Um, you know, obviously you, you want to see him come down with that. He didn't. It is what it is. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, again, it, it could have been worse uh, for DJ Ivy in this game, especially you know, with a matchup that they could have potentially exploited him on. But uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of got to see how he impacts some of these big games when there's going to be explosive playmakers like, you know, Anaya Smith and Evan Stewart yeah. or Keith Brown. I it's mean, there's going to... a significant gonna... concern this yeah. week. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The question will be, can Texas A&M's quarterback, whoever that is, connect on those yeah. deep shots against DJ Ivey? It's, it's a concern. I think some people too are curious about Isaiah Dunson. Do you have curiosity there? I mean, I don't know what to make of that, honestly. I mean, I, I guess I'd like to see it, but I, I personally am not like pounding the table for it. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I think I'm kind of open to seeing anything, but if, if it's at the point where they're kind of going into the rotation and he's not one of the guys coming into the game, uh, I mean, that kind of tells me something, right? Like, why isn't Isaiah Dunson getting some run here? Uh, so, again, maybe it's something that we don't even really realize what we're what we'd be asking for if we're putting Isaiah Dunson in the game. But at this point, I feel like I'm kind of open minded to seeing whatever it is uh, is kind of on the bench. And uh, I mean, maybe not against Texas A&M. I'm not sure if that's the time to experiment, but I maybe would have liked to have seen him a little bit more in in this game or maybe let's say against middle Tennessee state. If uh, it doesn't go necessarily well against, uh, against Texas A&M safety, anything, I mean, anything beyond just like, I think James Williams played a really good game. No, I, I mean, I thought he was awesome. I mean, I think his length really showed up a couple times that play kind of like on the sideline where he got his hands on a, on a pass. Uh, I think there was another one, I guess it was like a, I'm not sure if it was a crosser or what it was, but he kind of like kind of fully extended, got his hands on a pass. Uh, across the middle too that I think just kind of the six five freaky length I think he, he impacted um you know a play in that way so yeah I thought that was a, a solid James Williams performance uh I mean Al, I'm not a super huge fan of the Al Blades thing just because I think the one time he had the opportunity to make the play and how he kind of froze in that moment uh pretty inexcusable uh just from a, a safety's perspective where you're supposed to be kind of like the ball hawk last uh line of defense and for you to kind of stand around and watch a play happen in front of you. I think that was pretty disappointing to watch. 
Um, but I mean, otherwise I think, you know, Cameron kitchens was okay. And, uh, you know, James Williams, I thought was really good too. Andy Borregales, uh, special teams, you know, we mentioned this in the instant reaction, but I think it's worth mentioning again. I think it's, it's very, it's a good thing that he went three of three, including, I believe a 48 yarder, yeah. which buried easily. That's a big deal, especially when you go into this this type of Texas A&M game where every point matters. It's a big deal, too, uh, for an offense slash team, knowing you can score basically any time you kind of cross the 40-yard line. Um, it seems like you never know with college kickers, yeah. but it seems like Andy Borregales can be that type of guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think again, I mean, I think it's a huge deal. I mean, we're, I mean, you look around college football, you're watching any of these games, and it's just like how much the special teams matter. Like they matter a ton. And when you when you're going on the road in front of 102,000 people, and you have a kicker who you know can kind of split it, I think, uh, I think Clay James is a great snapper. I think Lou Headley's a solid holder. On uh, Andy Borgales, I think has a great foot, and uh, you know, I think that they have the right. I, I don't know. I, f- I feel like that it gives you a chance to put points on the board. And again, when you're going on the road to an sec environment in, uh, you know, again, hundred plus thousand people, uh, those three points are really, really, really going to matter. And it feels like Andy Borgales could be good from, you know, 45 plus, you know, potentially into that 50 yard range. And it feels like he's kind of, you know, swinging a confident leg right now. And, uh, so, you know, I'm feeling really good about him and, and, you know, kind of where he's kind of trending as a kicker. I don't know. I feel like he's going to have a really good career here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, uh, I mean, again, we'll see, right? Because yeah. these have been comfortable games or, or yeah. whatever. Uh, but it does seem like he took a next a, a step forward from last year. And he wasn't, he, I mean, you know, he had freshman stuff last year. It's not like he was a, he was bad last year. Um, all right. So now let's go a little bit. We got number 13, Miami, number 24, Texas A&M, according to the latest AP poll. I just I looked at the line. I don't know if it's moved. I would imagine this line is gonna move some. Um and it already has a little bit, but it's last I looked, Texas AM minus six and a half. So Texas AM six and a half point favorite. Um we don't have to go like super deep discussion on this, Gabby, because we'll we'll get much deeper into Texas AM later. But uh coming off of this Southern Miss game, and I believe you watched a little bit of the Texas AM game, correct? Yeah, I, I watched a good portion of the second half. Yeah. What do you was, feel like? I was dangerously watching on my phone, driving on the Palmetto South. So <laughs> don't recommend that to anyone, but I definitely did it. What needs to get clean up on offense for Miami? Give me one thing going into this Texas A&M game. Um, one thing that needs to get picked up, picked up on. I don't know. I feel like the tight end. I feel like the tight end usage could probably help a lot. I feel like that's how. It, I feel like that's how App State kind of kind of moved the chain. Yeah, I feel like they did a good job with the tight ends. Kind of. There's just similarities like, there, honestly. The two offenses. Do you feel the, that way? Yes, I. I mean, I do, but I also don't want to put too much stock into it. I feel like App State and Miami kind of played us like. I feel like the brand that App State played against Texas A&M, I didn't watch them a ton against UNC, so I don't know if that's their brand of football, but who they were against Texas A&M, it was right. kind of ground and pound, Cameron Peoples, big body running back. I think Miami fans are pretty familiar with him from that 2021 game. Uh, you know, they used him a lot to, again, and just, it was never about the they big kinda, chunk play. They it was put just it on their moving. O-line, you know? Yeah, I, and I they think both they did. O-line head coaches, you know what I yeah. mean? So, you know, I agree. Tight ends, I think, they were sneaky 
uh, efficient and effective yeah. in that yeah. game. So yes, I agree. Like, will Mallory pick it up? And along similar lines, I think App State's O line whipped Texas A&M's D line. I think Miami's got to try and replicate that. Yeah. How about an alternate universe storyline where Zion Nelson was the left tackle of that App State unit <laughs> that went into Texas A&M? Right. Because that's where you're saying. Because that's where he was originally committed yeah. to. Yeah, right. exactly. That's pretty crazy to think about. It is. Um, okay. I think we've already kind of touched on it. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Biggest concern on defense going into the Texas A&M game. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be the, I mean, the explosives. And I mean, I'm, I, I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like for A&M, but I know the quality of playmaker that they have. And I don't think it's just the receivers. I think Devin A. Chain is another one that they can use in the past game to kind of create explosives too. And I mean, he's a big, big time, you know, running back and and just athlete. Uh, so I think just explosive plays in general, just kind of limiting those. I think if uh, you can hold them on those, I mean, I think you have a chance to win. I think App State did an abs- just an excellent job of not allowing, you know, huge chunk plays. And I think mm-hmm. the only one they allowed was on special teams when they gave up a big long return. Otherwise, Texas A&M's offense only scored seven points. I think there's an opportunity to kind of catch them in a weird spot where they're not moving the chains really well or not just, you know, having some of those big plays. So uh, definitely going to be tested. But, uh, you know, I think Miami has an opportunity to, you know, I don't know, kind of hold them. We'll see. I mean, A-Chain did have an explosive touchdown run as well. Outside of that. I didn't see that one. Yeah, it was early in the game. Okay, so yeah, Um, I missed that one. But yeah, I am very curious what they do at quarterback. And, you know, on one side, Jimbo Fisher is a very, I mean, he's stubborn. He's a, he's, he's kind of a stubborn coach and you could totally see him sticking with Haynes King. Uh, I just don't know how you can watch them play and think that he's the answer when you have a guy like Max Johnson, who. Yes, he maybe he doesn't have the dynamic running potential that a Haynes King has, but I think Max Johnson can at least deliver the ball at a higher level to some explosive wide receiver talent, and uh, you know that helps open up your run game, et cetera, et cetera. So, if it were me, I mean, I was honestly surprised they didn't start Max Max Johnson from the jump. Uh, so. We'll see what Jimbo decides to do. They also have that talented true freshman quarterback, Connor Wegman. I, it's probably too early to go to that move, uh, but I could see them going there by the end of the season. Let's get out of here on this. Like, This is a big deal, this game for Miami. I think it kind of, I think it's unfortunate that this game kind of lost yeah. you know, some of its shine. Um, because it was really going to be a, a potential statement opportunity for Miami. Yeah, it still is. I mean, it's still a chance for Mario Cristobal to win a big game against an SEC opponent early in his tenure. That's a big deal. Um, but I, I do just want to, you know, play devil's advocate a little bit and, and just remind people that last year. Almost at the same time. I guess it was mainly like early October. So a little later in the season last year, we kind of did this whole Texas A&M sucks narrative last year. Everyone talked about how Jimbo Fisher isn't worth his contract, et cetera, et cetera. 
which may be true. I mean, that narrative was built off them losing to Arkansas and Mississippi State back to back, and they were going into a Alabama matchup. But I just want to remind people, Texas A&M scored 10 points and 22 points in those losses to Arkansas and Mississippi State. Then they played Alabama at home at Kyle Field with backup quarterback Zach Calzada, and they beat Alabama 41-38 at home. So my message is just like, this game isn't going to be easy. Like, yes, obviously, Texas A&M looked awful against App State. But every game, especially in college football, every game is its own entity. And so, you know, while Texas A&M did kind of show us who they were a little bit in that game, I would not expect that same Texas A&M team to show up this Saturday night. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. And, and we'll give I, I, I need to do way more research and thoughts, watch more Texas A&M before. You know, we give opinions on who's going to win the game, et cetera, et cetera, which we will do later in the week. Um, but it's this is a big opportunity for this Miami Hurricanes football program. And we will see if Mario Cristobal can capitalize. That's why he was brought in to capitalize on these big opportunities and these big moments. So anything you want to add there? Yeah, I mean, just real quick. And again, this is just me just kind of playing with the Google machine. So last year, this same weekend that Texas A&M had their scare with Colorado um, up in like in, in Boulder. They went to Colorado, uh, won a 10-7 game, and then they came back. I mean, they beat New Mexico uh, the year before that, the same weekend. Um, you know, they went up to they lost against Clemson, came back home the next weekend and lost to uh, a 14th ranked Auburn team. So I don't know if early September is just a weird time for Texas A&M. I think they usually figure it out. And I'm not saying that this is like, quote unquote, a good time to catch them. But I'm just kind of going through a couple trends over the last few years. And it seems like this is the point of the year where they do struggle before they eventually figure it out and kind of go on a run. So just something to kind of just something I just kind of like piece together. We'll see now. Yeah, I don't know. We're, just kind we're of not throwing it out there. Texas A&M win. Like, right. don't get it like. You know, look, Miami can go win this game. I believe this more now than I did prior to that App State game, you know, of course. So, uh, but I still respect every opponent. For sure. Uh, so we'll leave it there. And uh, till next time, take care.